ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, the CMPU, in association with 898 Authentic Rock and Roll, proudly present the ultimate catalog collection. Lars was beginning to get very tired of sitting by James on the bank and of having nothing to do. Once or twice he had peeped into the book James was reading, but it had no pictures or conversations in it. And what is the use of a book, thought Lars, without pictures or conversation? So what opening am I parodying there, Corey? Do you know? Very famous book. Pretty sure you'd have read it. If it's not by Stephen King, I probably didn't read it. Alice was beginning to get very tired of sitting by by her brother on the bank. Oh, the opening lines. Yeah, it's Alice uh, in Wonderland. Behind the Green Door. No, wait, what? Alice in Wonderland. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought it was Deep Throat. Deep. <laughs> That's the kind of books I read. Oh, Christ, we're going there, are we? Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's been a long night. <laughs> well, you know what? It's a long night. Maybe we can perk you up with a little bit of Metallica, Corey, because this is episode of the Ultimate Catalog. What are we at? What, how many episodes are we at now? Well, 19... there was four on uh, Black Album, right? And we just yeah. did uh, two on loads. We're at six. This is number seven of this season. Seven of this season of the Ultimate Catalog Clash. Yeah. So myself, Kevin Brown, my good pal here, Corey Morissette, are taking on the discography this season of Metallica. And we do one artist per season to find out which we think is the best record in that artist's catalog, or part of a catalog, as this may be. And of course, it's just 90s Metallica that we're covering. So we've already done the Black Album, as Corey just said. And this uh, this four-episode run that we're doing here, we're looking at Load. We're looking at Side C from Load today. And again, I was saying to you last week, I think, Corey, that side C of a lesser-loved album can sometimes be a little bit problematic, and we've got some stuff on here that's up and down, I think, on this. bit of inconsistency and inequality on this side. I'd like to go back to the Black album, if we could. How much more black could this be? And the answer is none. None is that good? more black. The answer is none more black. But yeah, we're, we're, we're getting a little dark, actually, on this one. Side C, uh, we got uh, four uh, songs on Side C. So a little different than the Black album. There was more... Uh, tunes on load uh, remember load and reload they had over 30 songs and they just thought uh, instead of doing a double album because they only get paid for one unit or it only counts as one unit on the contract if they put it out as two different records a la guns and roses counts as two so that's why we have load and reload so that oh. counts as two towards their uh their uh, record contract okay so the two albums were written and recorded at the same time yes then? yep Ah, no, that I didn't know. I hadn't come across that in my in my um, reading. That's interesting. Okay. Well, uh, written, yes, recorded, not so much. They they pretty much uh, partitioned out what would be load, worked on that first. And then after that oh. came out, then they finished off what would become reload, which is what we're going to be covering uh, in, in a couple of weeks' time. Okay, that's cool. Okay, I didn't know that. Neat. And the other thing about load is that it is chock full of music. 79 minutes, the absolute max you could fit on a CD uh, is on this thing. So it's a double album. Of course, we do our show. Uh, we partition them out by albums. That's where we're doing side A, side B, side C, and side D. So we got four tracks on side C tonight. This one could be a little bit longer one, uh, although I'm not sure what we're going to have to say about a couple of these tracks. And maybe let's start with one of those right now. Uh, this is the kickoff to side C, Never Played Live by Metallica, one of the few, uh, actually one of four songs uh, from Load that was never played uh, live in concert. This is a song called Cure.
It's a bit plotty, isn't it? A little, little plotty. Uh, yeah. Unexceptional was the word I used throughout uh, my notes uh, for this song. Although I do like uh, kind of when he doubles his vocal here on Me Thinks the Answer is Cold and in his hand uh, because he's not actually just, you know, singing the same uh, octave. He's actually, you know, varying it uh, on both vocals. So it's it, it's a different effect than what we usually get from James. He only started uh, doubling properly on the Black Album, so here he's doing a little more varied uh, version of it. If this one, as soon as I heard this one, I, mean, I was again sitting down to write my notes a couple of days ago. I was like, I've heard them do this before. It, it just seems very like Root One Metallica, sort of, eh, fuck, okay, we're doing this again. Dumb. Chad, the backbeat that Lars is doing and sort of riffing on the, the symbols. Okay. No, it just changed. Obviously, there's a couple of sections in this song, but to this point, when I was listening through, I was like, yeah, this is not. It's not really doing anything for me at all, you know? If you look in uh, Webster's Dictionary for the definition of the word uh, album track, uh, th- yeah. th- this would be the ultimate because the, even lyrically, uh, everything is just kind of like, we need another song for the album. Uh, you know, let, 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 let's uh, break this out. And then you get something like... I think it's fucking stock. What, which part of that is unclear to you? Yeah, it's a, it's a little stock. It fucking is a little stock. And I mean, the thing is, though, like you said, oh, we need another song for the album. No, you don't. It's 79 minutes fucking long. Yeah. You can drop some filler from this at record, boys, and make it better. Two, maybe even three songs um, makes this a great Easy. record, right? I know on a Chris uh, Jericho show, which is also a Clash show, the uh, a classic album Clash, uh, they did Load and Reload, and they're uh, at the end of it, they're like, okay, let's take our best songs from both and make one album. And if you made one album out of the highlights from both these records, uh, I don't know, I'm controversial statement, would it eclipse the Black Album? Maybe. Like, you get some really fucking good stuff. Yeah, I mean, there's been two songs on this record so far that are on my they're on my playlist now. They're on my my growing Metallica playlist. That you know, I mean, King Nothing and Bleeding of Me, I think are fucking high highlights and great songs wrapped around one of the biggest loads of bubblegum cack I've heard <laughs> in a very long time. Right, so you know, when we don't get that on this side, but we do get a very very different sound uh, song on this side. This one is very very Metallica. It's very it's exactly what I always thought Metallica sounded like. And it's just, it's just fucking stock. And now we have another T-shirt designed bubblegum cack. <laughs> I call that for band name. If we ever form a, a band, Kevin, we're going to be bubblegum cack. Oh, man. You wanted a Jamesism. How about that at the end? And I, I just, I don't believe. That's the problem. <laughs> I think that's one of the main problem with this song is it's like, it's so, it's so half-assed. Even Hetfield feels like he's doing exactly what you think James Hetfield's going to do on a song. There's nothing at all, anywhere, at any point, there's no moment in the song where I go, oh, I wasn't, I wasn't expecting that. It's just exactly what I expect it to be. And I think I talked last show about most of the time, the Jamesism seems natural. Like when you bust him up, this one seems 100% manufactured. I do yep. believe, yeah, 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 yeah. Like he just put that in there because he's James Hetfield. Yeah. He's um, James Hetfield. That's what he do, man. <laughs> Cause everyone's 
So here's my theory about this one, Corey. I think that, yeah, everyone's got to have the sickness because everyone seems to have, need the cure. James had that couplet. He had that. They had those two lines written down in his sketchbook. So, you know, when you get an ideas, wrote that down and tried to develop a song idea around it and just couldn't couldn't get there with it. And we'll talk a little bit more about that at the end where I think it, you know, it, it doesn't quite work. But that does, that line, that title line, I think that's pretty fucking cool. I think it's a good, you know, everyone's got to have the sickness because everyone seems to need the cure. It's the you know, effect before the cause kind of idea. It's, it's it's very cool. I think that's a really neat idea. It's just there's nothing else in this song that lives up to that line. Uh, I don't know when you got my notes uh, to copy, but uh, <laughs> that's exactly what I had. I 100% agree. That's my favorite part of the song. And, uh, you know, e- even uh, Cure, it's it's really kind of an, a very broad uh, definition that we're talking about in this film. It's about the modern human condition, right, where everybody, uh, you know, it must have the sickness because everybody needs the cure. It's about personal manifestations and, and all yeah. that kind of stuff. Uh, where James is a little more honed in normally lyrically, or this is very broad in general. But yeah, those two lines I thought were easily my favorite part of the song. Well, let's skip to my least favorite part of the song because we should talk about it. If we go to 320. Oh, I wonder if we have the same one. Does it involve <laughs> Mr. Jason Newstead and what he's doing with the bass? No, it doesn't oh. actually, but we'll listen to that and we'll talk about it. Because but... I tell you, that's uh, James Hetfield's least favorite part of this track is what James is uh, doing with the bass on this one. So. <laughs> that's all dog shit but listen to what james is doing or what uh, jason's doing on the bass because he's slapping with his yeah. thumb but he's not picking after so it's not really a full slap but he's just doing this percussive thing on the bass string which i actually kind of liked but james uh, famously when i was researching hated that and it really took him really? a long time to come around on but you know it, it, it's not a true slap because he's not you know uh picking on the upswing or anything but just the way he's doing that percussive uh with his thumb slapping on the bass was kind of cool i you know i don't i, I haven't found in all the episodes we've done so far, really any cause to particularly criticize Jason Newstead. Now, a lot of the time I can't always hear what he's doing because the mix buries him a little bit. But when I can hear him, yeah, this guy's really fucking good. Very, very good player. And clearly he can do different styles because slapping is not something you expect a metal bassist to be able to do. Certainly metal doesn't call for it very often, right? Yeah. Uh, but what- my comment about this section, Corey, is that it's, I, I count him, it's 22 bars. It goes on for 45 seconds it's completely unnecessary, and it sounds to me like they're trying to ape a very famous song that does the same thing where it repeats the same line. Fuck you, I won't do what you tell me. Fuck you, I won't do what you tell me. And But that, in that song, because it's roughly round about the same type of length of build, that gets you going. This just sends me to sleep. I'm like, dear, what is this now? It's yeah. way too fucking long. It really is. Nothing in that section worked for me except for Jason Newstead and the bass. And what did I tell you coming into this season? Uh, Metallica is the rare band that went from the greatest metal bass player of all time to then the next greatest metal bass player of all time to then the next greatest metal bass player of all time. They've had amazing bass players all throughout their entire career. And it's, it's a shame you can't hear the one on a justice for all. And it's still a little buried like on the black album, but here he's getting, he's, he's in the mix a little bit more and uh, the songs yeah. are all the better for it, except for this one. I was going to say that. I don't remember Steve Harris playing with Metallica. That's must, must, I must have missed that era. So who, Steve Harris, is he from Flock of Seagulls? Uh, I, I don't know him. You know who Steve Harris is from, <laughs> young man. <laughs> well, I mean, I got no other timestamps on this one, Corey. I, I don't really have a ton to say about this one. 
Um, should we just go straight to our scores, maybe? Sure. I, I think you kicked off last week, so I'll kick off this week. Uh, to me, this is just middle of the road as you can get. Uh, five, five, and two. Um, like I said, there's enough musically, a couple little things, and I really like that slapping on the bass that, that, that Jason yeah. was doing. I, I, I'm going to pull up my Paul Rudd when he's talking about Geddy Lee. You got to slap at that bass, right? Yeah. You know, that, that was kind of cool. Uh, lyrically, there's a couple of things, like we said, because uh, uh, everyone uh, seems to need the cure. Uh, oh, yeah, press is cured. Like, there's a couple little moments that I didn't mind, but overall, it's very, you know, James Hetfield sat on the toilet and just belched this out in, in like 20 minutes, uh, a type of lyric, but it's still better than most. Uh, I, I've heard a lot of really bad metal lyrics, so this one I'm going to give a pass. I'm going to say it's it's middle of the road. Uh, it's a five. And then two, uh, very repetitive, very unremarkable, uh, very below average, I think, uh, for production-wise. Uh, 455 for this song is way too long. I, I think James uh, sings I Do Believe for a full two minutes, and that's all he yeah. sings for just straight. If you look at the lyric sheets, I do believe, I do believe, I do believe. He does it like 20 sometimes. Way, way too long. Uh, so not a shock that Metallica doesn't seem to be a fan of this one. They've never played it live uh, for a good reason. I was maybe a little uh, generous with a 5-5-2. Five, five and two. Let's see what uh, Kevin's going to bust out here. Well, I mean, again, I think I'm a little, well, I went six for music. Okay. Because there was one part of this song that I've, I did, you know, and it said, oh, I wasn't expecting that. I forgot about one part. And I don't know if you just want to skip back to 209 real quick for me, Corey, because sure. it's just in the chorus, and it's on that line that we both like. Okay. So he's doing that hitch step, that syncopated drum beat mm -hmm. that falls back in line with what the riff's doing. That bit I really like. I thought that was really good. So I think that bumped it from, yeah, middle of the road, average source, up to a six. Six of music, five for lyrics. It's sort of a bit of a clunky song about religion. James has done that better already, the God that failed. He's, he's done, he can do that really, really well. He doesn't really do it here. And like I said, I think it's, it's a song that's built lyrically around those two lines that he just he can't quite get a lock on what he wants to say. And it's never really distinct what he's what he's trying to do, right? So two for production the same because that I do believe section is just cack. It's just absolutely awful. And it, it you know the other thing I'd noted too, Corey, this sounds to me like one of those songs they really had to work at to get to this point. Mm -hmm. Where we're gonna talk about a song, I think on this side, that feels like it was just a jam that came out maybe in one take super effortlessly. So I think this is just a, I think it's just a, a like you said, the definition of filler. Yeah. Just a very boring, average, forgettable song. If you wanted to cut this down, the album down to about an hour, this is probably the first song maybe you cut uh, out, of, out of the whole thing because it's unnecessary. little trivia for you, Kevin. Uh, to get that saturated effect on his vocal, James Hetfield uh, recorded it with a Shure 520DX mic, which is a, a harmonica mic uh, used oh, cool. primarily uh, for harmonica players. So, And he's used that a couple times, I think, on this record. We, a couple times last week. Uh, we didn't call yep. it out, but... Um, I'm a big fan of Sure Mics. I'm currently uh, speaking into one as we speak. Kevin is uh, is as well. Uh, the Sure 520DX microphone, nicknamed the Green Bullet. <laughs> All right, let's move on uh, to. We're gonna get bluesy on the next one here. Uh, for fans of like uh, ZZ Top and Aerosmith, that I am, uh, we'll we'll see uh, how the scores rank for this one. Played four times live. This is Poor Twisted Me. <laughs> Thank you. 
that delay effect you don't get on a lot of Metallica songs. I, yeah. I really like it, though. I love his guitar tone generally. I mean, the, the, I think this one's... I think what did I written down was it this one because I don't always hear the panning when we're listening on when I'm listening online, but I'm, ah, maybe it isn't this one that's panned super far over to the left. Yeah, it might not be. I can't see if I've written down that anywhere else, but, but yeah, man, that's, I think that's a great little riff, great little bluesy, shuffly riff. I dig it. I dig it, Corey. You know, I like a bit of rolling my rock. He died. He he died in a bizarre gardening accident. <laughs> I just I can't find a good spot to play that sound clip, so I just played it here. <laughs> so a couple of weeks back, Kevin, uh, after we're done recording, I played you a little bit uh, from ZZ Top's last uh, studio record called La Futura. This sounds yep. like it would be right at home on that record. Absolutely. It's just a fucking blues riff. Yep. I mean, it's, it's swung. It's it's low down and dirty. I don't know what else to say about it. It's just a great fucking little blues riff. Or honking on Bobo, Harrisman, yep. right? Same type of thing. It's got Same a great kind of swing to it. You, you don't think of, of yep. Metallica as a swing band so much, but there, there's some cool swing on this. Especially with Mr. Mr. Ulrich. Like I said, it's, I, I didn't think that he had that. So when you hear it and he does it well, like he does here, he's again, it's very restrained. He's not wailing on that hat. And he's, he's not got them fully open either. He's gone, so they're a bit half open, and he's, he's kind of changing the, the throttle on it too. So it's a good bit of playing. I like it. Credit where credit's due. Oh, poor twisted me. Oh, poor twisted me. So I love the production on that because I'd written down I didn't I haven't really write it down very very well. It's almost like they've they've kind of hobbled him a little bit and made him sort of not belt and get into that zone, but still try and growl. So it really plays into because this song's all about you know fucking whiners and people who oh woe is me and everyone's against me and the world sucks and blah 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 blah. So doing that to his vocal to sort of strangle it a little bit, I think it's a really great. Um, Production choice. And I love that, you know, um, I chew on suffer instead of I chew on suffering. Yeah. I like it when writers do that, when they play with grammar and change things up. That's grammatically, it's a, it's nonsense. It's absolute dog shit, but it works so well um, within the within the constraints of the song. So, yeah. We get good James again on the lyrics. Swallow, hold the pain. Oh, it's too good to be. All this misery is just for, oh, poor twisted me. Oh, you liked that note, didn't you? Oh, man, because he doesn't crunch it. It's so clean, and he hits it, nails it. He doesn't scoop up to it. He just hits that note, just nails it. So good. You don't think of James Hetfield as a vocalist with a ton of range rate, but he just went from zero to 30 in, like, nothing. Yeah, brilliant. Great. I mean, it's just, again, because he's been growling and seven and the meh, and just hits that note. That's beautiful. Cuts through. Oh, 
Okay, we're going to be coming into the solo here right away. But what did you yeah. do to that section there? I'd written down that I love this section. Two things that I'd noted. You don't often get James singing over top of... Because that's the start of the... The guitar solo's actually started already there. It's, it's quite simple because James is still singing, but James is singing over top. They don't do that that often in this band. The other thing that I found that I really liked was when they come into that full-time swing in the, in the bridge section there, Metallica quite often will do that too early or they'll change that timing up, you know, from halftime to full-time or full-time to double-time. They just do it too much. It's a bit, it gets a bit erratic. I think because they hold it back for the bridge section here, it just makes it so much more effective. Um, yeah, what else do I have there? That's probably about it. Uh, what yeah. I liked was uh, coming up in the solo here, uh, you really have to kind of listen for it, but I found a great quote from Bob Rock about what he told Kurt Hammond about this solo, and he said, quote, you know how John Coltrane leaned into every note and played slightly behind the beat, just like Buddy Guy does, Stevie Ray Vaughan does? That's what you got to do on this solo. So that was kind of his homework, right? You got to come in behind the beat on this. Yeah, well, it's, great it's a blues note. again. It's a blues thing, right? Yeah, yeah it's, but it's a great so, note, especially for a blues song, right? All right, what did you think of that solo? And again, you, you got Lars kind of playing the scene, da 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 not mixing it up too much. Uh, what did you yeah. think? Yeah. <laughs> it's, so it's so funny because I'd, I'd written down, here's my exact note word for word, Corey. I knew there'd be something I didn't like. Lars, <laughs> that's the wrong fill. Because there's that bit at 301 where it takes all the swing out and he drops the kick out. So you've got this weird... Rat-a-tat thing that he's twice through. Yeah, like, just on the snare. Da, 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 da. It's it like, just yeah. it kills the groove. You don't need it there. Um, but the You're, solo, I mean, yeah, great fucking tone. Lars, I mean, I'd be amazed. To Frank Beard. That, sorry, go ahead. So, I, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. But Lars, it just dawned on me. He really should listen to to Frank Beard and, and what he does over a Billy Gibbons solo. Yeah, right. It, just, it, which is essentially shut up. Yep. Just keep the groove going. Yeah, but uh, you know, put some backbeat into it. Like you, you gotta have more kick than you do anything else, right? Or floor tom or yeah. something. You can't just go da 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 rat a da tat on the snare. It, it, it stands out as as being. Lars never fucking bugged me until I talked to you, and I'm doing this show, <laughs> and you're listening to this stuff, and it's like, but and, and doing the Van Halen show too, and even the, the Aerosmith show. Joy Kramer knows what to play during a solo. Yeah, uh, Alex Van Halen especially knows what to play during a guitar solo. It helps that his brother is the lead guitar player. Absolutely. But Lars, a lot of times, and sometimes he's right on the money, but a lot of times he's not. And shit that never bothered me before is bothering me now, and that's one of them. I'm listening to that, and you're trying to get into the guitar solo, and you're da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da, just repetitive yeah. on the stage. It's like, fuck. Like, Dude. Even Phil Rudd with his one tom will hit it on occasion during <laughs> that section. I mean, yeah. Look, it's that thing of, I think, that what it comes down to, in my mind anyway, is that... I think Alex Van Halen, Joey Kramer, Roger Taylor, you know, I don't know, take to any of the sort of the best drummers in that sort of hard rock slash heavy metal oeuvre, they're just better musicians than Lars Ulrich is. That's what I think. That's where I, that's where I struggle with, you know, this whole idea of him getting writing credit. If he's arranging and he's sort of, if he's doing sort of the producer job where he's saying, well, let's do this section here or let's do this for an extra eight bars, that's not writing. Yeah. And I don't know why he's getting writing credit for that. And when you listen to that, the musicality of, 
being able to hear and play off what other players are doing, he really frequently just doesn't have the ability or doesn't seem to have the ability to do it, you know? You brought up a point a couple of weeks ago, I think, where you said, is Lars getting co-songwriting uh, co credit because he formed the band and he's friends with James? And I, I honestly didn't know, but I found a quote uh, coming up on a song we're going to do tonight called Mama Said, where James is like, I don't know if this is a Metallica song, and Lars is like, uh, if it's written by Lars Ulrich, James Hetfield, it's a Metallica song. But Lars didn't fucking write that song. He didn't do anything no. to that song. That was all James Hetfield. So it, I'm beginning to think, and someone's going to correct me and yell at me online saying, no, you're wrong. Lars is crucial uh, to, to the sound of this band. I'm like, is he though? Like, it, it seems like it's more James uh, than anybody. I'm sure Lars contributes a lot to certain songs, but yeah. a song like Mama Said, not at all. And, you know, uh, other songs, you could say, you know, what exactly is, is he contributing other than really bad fills on occasion? <laughs> let's get let's get off Lars though and let's talk, talk a little bit about this, a bit more about the solo because right. holy hell I love that guitar solo. solo that's not a Gibson Les Paul I, I don't I, I would put most of the money I have on that being a Gibson Les Paul because it just sounds sounds like a fuck it just sounds like a blues bluesy guitar bluesy Les Paul guitar solo to me the key change the 254 fantastic uh -huh. I'm sure it's again it's, I think it's just a step up it's one one full tone up I think but it gives you that bit of movement in the section that doesn't have to be a big moment, doesn't have to be Lars doing something stupid or the guitars wailing and going mad, but just that step up just changes that dynamic a little bit. Yeah. Fantastic. Love it. Absolutely. I like that. Like I said, it's, it's a development, it's a progression. Um, there's some good transitions in this song. There's a bit earlier that we didn't listen to, but there's a nice little drop to the major key um, where this is kind of, you know, they're playing in fifths more or less. But uh, yeah, there's, there's lots, lots to like about this song, Corey, and it's not too long. It doesn't overstay its welcome. It's true. I, I find this one a little confusing. But you're not as confused as him, are you? I mean, it's not your job to be as confused as Nigel. Okay. <laughs> Metallica fans are listening to this going, what the fuck is Spinal Tap? I, I do that for Kevin. I, I, I want to make, my whole uh, goal in life is to make Kevin Brown laugh. And whenever I can do it, I feel a little bit better about myself. Mission accomplished, sir. <laughs> All right, is it okay. my turn to go? Who, who goes on I this one? I think you kicked us I off, th I think. Okay, so then it'll be your turn. What is your vote on Poor Twisted Me played four times live? Well, look, dude, straight away it's on my Metallica playlist. Um... We've talked lots about me liking a little bit of Rolling My Rock, and this one's got it. Music in nine. I really do like it musically. I think it moves along nicely. It develops in different ways. They don't just use two sections glommed together, like, you know, Hero of the Day or whatever. Um, and where Cure felt sort of, you know, the last song felt arduously constructed, like I said, this one feels like it was really natural, and it would have been a loose jam. And, you know, none of the ideas are complex, but they're all executed really fucking well, apart from... Lars going a bit mad in one part, you know, and doing his, uh, his epileptic gibbon shtick. But um, lyrics number nine as well. I love the lyrics to this one. And again, it's that sort of that idea of people who are always fucking whining and pointing the finger at other people and not taking responsibility for their own shit. Um, you know, and he's saying spotlighting it, saying, look how pathetic that is. And there's a... We didn't talk too much about the lyrics in this one. I drown without a sea. Lungs filled with sorrow, lungs filled with misery, inhaling the deep dark blue... Oh, woe is me. And we've talked, Corey, I think it was wherever I may roam, maybe, that I was ragging on the repetitious rhyming, and I didn't like that sort of juvenile rhyming scheme. This is great. Like, this shows 
a good depth of being able to sort of construct a rhyme very effectively. So C and me obviously rhyme, but sorrow, misery, C kind of rhymes, but sorrow and dark blue don't rhyme with anything else in the in the in that section. So again, I think it's a great little piece of writing from James. Production four point five. Um, I will take a half point off just to be petulant for that fill because I think it is an arrangement issue and it's so it stands out so much and takes me out of the groove in that in that solo section. Like fuck you, you're taking half a point off. So nine nine and four point five though, Corey. I didn't know coming into this season whether any Metallica song was going to get that from me. <laughs> I'm shocked it's this one that, that that gave you that. I'm a little lower, uh, honestly. Musically, I gave it a seven. Um, there is some good stuff in here. There's some bad stuff in here, too, though, that really takes me out of it. And this is one of those songs. I know Lars bugs you a lot in every song we listen to. Not so much in this one. This one, he bugged me. Uh, so I docked him for that. I docked him in production yeah. for that, too. Uh, lyrically, I gave it a seven. Uh, it's really, really good. Uh, I, I, th- I, I was expecting a little more. And again, maybe I'm kind of doing the Kevin Brown thing where I'm holding him to a higher standard. Right. And in researching this, he was talking about, you know, I really uh, wanted to understand other people's ideas about how to write lyrics like Nick Cave and Tom Waits and Leonard Cohen. And when you're talking about lyricists like that, I don't think this reaches that level. So maybe I, I judged a little bit harshly on, on that scale, but it's still really good. Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with a seven and a seven and then a three for production. Uh, because again, there, there, there's some fucking fills in here that are just like, oh my <laughs> God, shut the fuck up. Like, l- listen to Frank Beard, listen to Joey Kramer, you know, listen to a really good blues band and what the drummer does during the solo. Because it's like, yeah. Lars, I, I used the example a few weeks ago where it's Lars's kid in some kind of monster behind the kit, just yelling, Metallica, and hitting the drums. And he's like, he's doing that again. <laughs> like, you, you know, mix it up, you know, do something interesting there, not not something that, that just immediately jars you out of it and go, whoa, fuck off. What the hell was that? Yeah. Yeah. So seven, seven, three, not bad. Uh, I really like this tune. Um, I, I think it's maybe my favorite, uh, on the side of the record. We'll find out, uh, because we got two more songs to go and, uh, they're, they're, they're kind of divisive. These two songs, the first one we got here has been played 101 times live, um, inspired by Waylon Jennings. Here's another country influence song for you. Uh, this is called wasting my hate. Did you hear Lars Ulrich playing the Ride Bell? Wasn't that great? Never heard him do that. I wonder. I wonder if, like, you know, halfway through the the process of this album, someone said, "Hey, Lars, you know, if you hit the cymbal in that middle bit there, it <laughs> kind of makes a different sound." He's like, "What?" Yeah. And ding, ding. Oh, like that. I'm putting that somewhere. <laughs> but he loves his reverse crash, right? Where it's you know yeah. flipped upside down. So he probably didn't know there was it. a bell. I was, oh, there's a bell. Oh, look at that. Let me try that. Oh, that sounds good. <laughs> Hey guys, I like totally fucking hit my symbol there, and then if I put it on the wrong fucking way around, I hit this middle bit. Listen to this, sounds fucking great. <laughs> I, I I love that 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 beginning. It's fantastic, and it's we, awesome. we we go from something that's a little different, and then straight into this sounds like Metallica. Like you, yeah, you know, there's some bands when they come on the radio before you hear a a vocal, you you know who's playing. Like you know when you hear the Red Special, you're listening to Queen. There's certain mm-hmm. moments that you know when you're listening to Metallica. 
once that kicks in, you know you're listening to Metallica on this one here. When I love how he's kind of squeezing his throat to get that really pinched, strange delivery that you know we've never heard anything like that before from Metallica, and that bit doesn't sound anything like Metallica. Um, when that section comes, that transition section to get us into the first verse, it sounds like the Black Album. It's big. Yeah. This is where I like Snare Snare being a, a little bit lost. Snare being a bit um, being a bit louder, a bit crashier. I think it works great in there. But like, yeah, so far in this song, I'm on board, Corey. And we should talk about uh, the theme of wasting my hate a little bit because this was a song inspired by Waylon Jennings, and it was Waylon Jennings telling a story to James Hetfield about what happened to him uh, in, in I think it was Jamaica or something. Uh, but he was sitting at a bar. And he looked across the street, and there was a guy in a car just staring at him. And what the fuck is this guy's deal? He keeps staring at me. He keeps staring at me. Just, fuck, what the hell is this guy's deal? It's like 45 minutes, and this guy is staring at me. And and then he realized that the guy was just stoned out of his mind and was just spaced out. (laughs) And Waylon Jennings said, oh, man, I can't believe I I was wasting my hate on that guy. He was just, you know, blitzed and didn't know what the fuck he was looking at. But I was sitting there hating on him, and why? And then James like, oh, that's, that's kind of a cool idea. Let's write a song about that. Yeah, I'm stealing that one. Absolutely. It's funny that, like, all the, all the best songwriters, or best, best lyricists at least, they always take those things. As soon as they hear something like that, that's in the back pocket. Like, I'm writing that down, or I'm remembering that, because I can do something with that, you know? And that was just a line when Waylon Jennings said, I was wasting my hate. It's like, ooh, wasting my hate. That's a Metallica yeah. song. Goddamn right it is. <laughs> Phil that I loved there. He plays a <laughs> flam. So he goes flam on the snare, onto the tom, back to the snare. And against that, you know, in lots of songs he would have done the ratatata, he would have done the, you know, the, the machine gun snare thing, but it works there. Um, uh, man, Jason Newstead on this song is killing it. There's a bit, because, the you know, the, the verse um, riff, if we're going to call it a riff, is really just a sort of a, a single chord with just a little bit of, you know, tiny, tiny little bit of movement around it. But what Newstead does in the second half of the verse is he changes the root note. You know, if you're on a piano, you call it pedal point, where you sort of, you keep playing a C chord with your left hand, but you play C and then G or F or whatever on the, or, or, sorry, on the right hand, and then C, Jeff, or your root notes with your left. So to get that sort of movement out of the bass, again, is something that I haven't really heard a ton from, a ton of from Metallica. And again, I, I think I can hear the bass really clearly, and it sounds bloody marvelous. It's rumbling along. Yeah, it really is production-wise, uh, you know, pretty damn cool. Uh, lyrically, uh, where are you at here? Because uh, uh, my note was not his best lyrics, but still uh, average to above average James lyrics are still better than most. Well, and, you know, it, overall, it's there's a few places where it's a bit repetitive, but I think that the it, that's just driving home the message, right? You know, it's the same in comedy. You repeat, 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 repeat to, to drive that message home. And I don't mind it sometimes. Depends how you're doing it, and I think it works here for me. Um, but the verse that's coming up now, 
which I think we're sort of 154, so it's, it's not far off from here. I think the lyrics here are fantastic. Think you're worthy now? You think even enough to raise the brow? And then we'll get into, after we've listened to it a little bit, to laugh and tip that two-pronged crown, the way he delivers that. Dynamite. Like that two-pronged crown. Oh, yeah, it makes two <laughs> syllables out of two one-syllable words. Yeah. It's great. Man, I, I really like that. You know, yeah. when he does the ah at the end of that, it's great. I think it works perfectly. There's something about, well, I see my hands and I see my feet that I just kind of... Oh, you don't like that? Yeah. That one just kind of <laughs> threw me off a little bit. Then we got, I feel that blood that pumps and beat. Like, all right, that's cool. Yep. And sometimes you need to just get a line that sets up the good one, right? Sometimes <laughs> you can't really think of something that rhymes with beat that works very well. Yeah. So. Uh, beat, feet, all right, I'll make it work. Okay, so this this is where this song loses marks for me. You're coming out of that dead and gone now and he really belts it and i'm remember that was like oh we're, we're going to the salt oh we're oh oh we're going back to that again oh that's really disappointing yeah because that's the perfect point to just let kirk hammett go fucking nuts in this song yeah give him his wide pedal and just let him like do something let really him cool. go exactly yeah but instead we get this I gotta Love. say the uh, uh, I think I'll keep it for myself is a great line there. And then hey, and then we kick. Yeah, off. yeah, that was really good. Yeah, and I love that little do 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 do. So uh, Newstead's playing that triplet, that ascending triplet, but James is only playing the second and third notes of it. So it's did it, did it, did it. Where it was some do 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 do. So that that combination again, I think that's really good writing. Yeah. That's they've sat down and thought, oh, well, do we follow each other completely on that? Well, no, how about I'll play the, that root notes and then you come in on the second two notes. I guess sounds fantastic. Good pickup. I didn't pick up on that at all, but yeah, that's exactly what happens. I got to give you a little more credit than I do, maybe. Jeez. <laughs> I know three things. <laughs> <laughs> and that's one of them. Catch that little kick, Phil. Mm -hmm. Super cool. And you're talking about, like, when we were on the last song, about being slightly behind the beat and it working. He's slightly behind the beat there as well, and it works. Because yeah. it's a it's a weird timing, but that's definitely completely deliberately done. And again, it's something different. He's really, really good on this track. Uh, for as much yeah. shit as I gave Lars on the last one, he's playing it really, really well on this one here. Key change. Right on that last chord. In and out, just throw away. They don't do it anywhere else. That's very cool. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> 
I appreciate that. All right, so Wasting My Hate played 101 <laughs> times. Uh, did this make the uh, the the Kevin Brown uh, uh, Spotify playlist, I wonder? Yeah, I think it's going to be on there. I think okay. it might be here. Well, um, I tell you what, the music is catchy as fuck. Um, I don't think it's James Best lyrics, though. Music, I gave it a seven. Lot, lot of good happening here. Uh, definitely above average. Doesn't elevate to like uh, King Nothing or anything like that for me, but really not a lot you can pinpoint as saying that's bad or that or yeah. that really bothered me. So a uh, solid seven for music, solid seven for lyrics. Again, not his best lyrics on the record or on this side even, but still pretty damn good. James is really doing a good job here. And then three and a half uh, for a production. Uh, 520 is maybe a smidge long for a song like this. Uh, and there's a couple other things uh, just, uh, you know, fading wise, like mix wise, uh, could have been balanced a little bit better, but still well above average. So I gave it a seven, seven and three and a half uh, for production on this one. Uh, Kevin Brown, what are your uh, scores on Wasting My Hate? I went 7.5 on music. There's a lot I like about it musically. And like you said, it's not a sort of top shelf, you know, it's not a top shelf Metallica song musically. Um, but I like the, you know, we think that we're getting this bluesy thing again you know when it comes in and then we get that really aggressive we get that oh fuck here we go now we've got a pickup and now it sounds like metallica um i like the riff it's simple but it's really catching hummable you know we're talking about being able to hum guitar lines you can hum this one and i think it's a fantastic vocal from james setfield yeah absolutely fantastic so 7.5 music i went seven for lyrics as well um as i said that second verse i really really like and that dead and gone now that push that he sort of and because it's a tagged line like because but where the hell's my mind going now should be the end of that line dead and gone now i think is it again good piece of songwriting um production i went 2.5 because oh. i'm docking big marks for that inexplicable decision not to go to the solo after dead and gone now i couldn't believe that they didn't do that and then so it goes four bars and you think oh well they're, oh, they're just going to do it now but then it goes back into the chorus. It's like, fucking hell, really? So, yeah, I mean, I, I think probably it is a wee bit long. The, the, the sections repeat a bit too much. Um, but I like the sections themselves. So, seven and a half, seven and 2.5. Um, right. Song I enjoy listening to. Uh, we're in lockstep on that one, too. Let's see uh, what we think of the last song on Side C. Uh, this is probably the most divisive song uh, from this album, especially maybe in Metallica's entire catalog, because we're getting a country ballad here now. Uh, Never played in concert, played three or four times on TV. I know they played it live or on later with Jules Holland. And uh, he did a, a duet with Jesse Coulter, who's a country guy or something, on CMT Outlaw Concert. And I know that the one on Jules Holland, because I, I went and looked at it, that was just um, James. He did that solo yeah. acoustic. Yeah. yeah. And 100%, that, that is my main note on the song. This should have been James with just an acoustic guitar. Yeah. Uh, instead, we're going to get the full band here on a little track called Mama said. Three, four, one, two. Mama, she has taught me well, told me when I was young. Son, your life's an open book. Don't close it for it's done The brightest flame burns quickest That's what I heard her say Son's heart's old to mother But I must find my way Just wonderful performance, wonderful wonderful verse. This is about, obviously, James's mother uh, who died of cancer when he was very young. 
and it's about how he wasn't able to spend more time with her. And that's why you get, uh, you know, a mother's love for a son unspoken help me be, yet I took your love for granted and all things you said to me. I need your arms to welcome me, but a cold stone is all I see, like a tombstone. Very, yeah. very deep song. Um, and I wish it was just James with an acoustic guitar doing this entire thing. But unfortunately, it's not. And you know what? I hadn't actually thought about that when I was listening through. And it's a really fucking good point because, again, our little Danish friend, the little Danish twat, <laughs> gets in the way a few times. So why don't you go and sue Napster, you little Danish twat? <laughs> <laughs> Let my heart go. Let your soul Something I hadn't written down, Corey, but it just occurred to me listening to that through again. So Let My Heart Go, and you get the twangy country thing. Let Your Son Grow, the same thing. Mama, Let My Heart Go, you get the same thing. I think that you, you know, like a country band, like a real a good country, Waylon Jennings, wouldn't do that. There would be a change on either the second or the third time you play it through. Um, and not something dramatic, but just slide. Maybe you, instead of you know bending up or sliding up and then back down, maybe you start from down and go up. You know, there's there's different ways of playing, kind of the same thing, but making it a bit more interesting. I, I hear what you're saying. I, I think more to like shitty country music because that's what I listened to <laughs> growing up, like you know Joe Diffie and fucking uh, uh, like assholes like that, and that's how they would do it. So it it seems yeah. very country to me, and I think that's what turned a lot of people off. That and the pedal steel guitar, which was James. Uh, he had learned, uh, I think, the year or two before to play pedal steel. So so that's what he's doing here. Very, very country sounding. But again, if it was just James and a, an acoustic guitar, I think that hits a little harder. But once you hear that twangy pedal steel, you're like, oh, fuck, what the hell is this? Well, and it, it's like you said, too. I think that one of the problems is because you've got the band comes in, when, when the band comes in, it sounds, it kind of sounds like Metallica, more or less. I mean, there's a couple of notes I had on that, but... It, it's just so incongruous that that pedal steel it just doesn't fit you know what i mean like it's yeah. just it's weird and i don't i don't hate it it's played well like he plays it well it sounds nice it's a good tone it's just weird it doesn't fit into a metallica song for me but exactly if, if you want to do an acoustic ballad I, I think that would be a little more palatable palatable for for fans of metallica as opposed to like a full-out country song even jason newstead in interviews like i think we treaded way too close to country uh yeah. on on mama said uh, it, it could be a much more impactful song. And when he does it just acoustically, I think it is a much more impactful song. Whereas here, once you hear that, you think Garth Brooks, you think whatever the fuck. And I think it was actually Garth Brooks' uh, guitar guy that taught James how to play the pedal steel. I mean, that, the, that's why I'm getting like a rope in the wind vibe from it that really kind of takes me out of it. I want to get into this song because there's a lot of pain in this. Like lyrically, it's yep. really, really strong. But musically, it's like, why the fuck are you playing a pedal steel on that? Yeah, you know, they're trying different things, Corey. That's, you know, yeah, no kidding. Cut their hair and look what happens. Jesus, maybe everybody <laughs> had a point. They cut their hair and they turned into Garth Brooks. <laughs> Play from here because there's that sort of, again, that phased wah electric lead that Kirk plays, I quite like. And I think this is this is this one where the acoustics panned way hard left and the guitar's on the right. You definitely don't need to do that. But I quite like how what Kirk's playing complements 
again, we've, you've got a musician there who understands music and knows what to play. So I, I, there's a few little licks here that I think he plays quite nicely. Yeah, some really nice that's, accents there, yeah. Really nice tone too, hey? Like, it's yeah. that's where you, you couldn't play... You wouldn't really want a straight Y. You wouldn't want, like, a really chunky Metallica sound. You wouldn't want Kirk's usual tone. That's perfect. So here's my question for you, Corey. It is a really, you know, never I ask of you, but never I gave. So that's accepting responsibility also for this, you know, dysfunctional relationship. But you gave me your emptiness. Now I, I now take it to my grave. That's a great line. I don't think you need to sing that twice because I don't think that it really does anything. I think it's, I think it pads out this chorus section. Or well, it's, no, it's not really the chorus. It's the I don't know, the bridge section maybe. But I just I just think that it, again, it's like a little bit more editing here could have been. Could have been used. I think they could have been a bit more. And I know it's difficult with a song like this, right? Because how do you say to James, well, you know, this song that you've written from the heart about your mom, we want to change it. It's difficult yeah. to tell people that sometimes, right? So I get why it says in, but I think it's a bit unnecessary. I 100% agree. Yeah, just uh, do it once and, and then build it. Because then the next verse is, Mama, now I'm coming home. I'm not all that you wished of me, but a mother's love for her son unspoken helped me be. Like, you get back into some really heavy, uh, impactful things. But yeah, when you kind of double it up, it loses a little bit of his, a uh, little bit of its effectiveness, I think. Yeah. such a big line uh, but a cold stone's all i see it's an excellent line it's heartbreaking yeah yeah it's really it's you know you can see it in your mind's eye immediately you know exactly what he's talking about um and i really like it again we we talked i think which which song it was but it's got an unforgiven vibe like you've got that same type of thing going on there now we get into a build here now now, one thing i'd noticed too Corey, i think i'm pretty sure this is the first time in the metallica catalog that i've heard anyway that lars ulrich is using brushes instead of sticks but in this build we're going to get here, like around, th- I think it's at 357 or whatever, I I think that that's where he should have switched and gone to sticks. Because I think that's, if, you, if you're going to build, and the song becomes big enough that you could do it, I think the brushes, the, the way he's playing the snare here, actually sounds a bit weak. And it loses a bit of impact that the song could have used in this section. I mean, Burst is saying I never picked up. He was playing brushes there. But yeah, there's definitely some power missing from that snare that's usually in a Metallica yeah. song about that point. Yeah. 
And again, because you've got these guitars now coming in, you've got this layering, you can barely hear that snare. Which again, you know, it's not pleasing me, right? Oh, well, it's not pleasing me. Like, I don't like it too loud. I don't like it too quiet. You know what? I want my fucking Goldilocks snare sound, you know? Joey Kramer does it. Yeah. I don't want to pick a fight. You're just picking a fight. <laughs> Can you say fuck on the radio? Sure. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Do you have anything more for uh, Mama Said? Yeah, there's just one comment because we're, I think we're both going to make the same, similar comments about this in production and we're going to talk about length again. So if you play 424 out to about 440-ish, there's such a natural end point to this song that, they, again, they just don't pick. Yeah, we, 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 we kind of need the this same motion. Again. Yeah, we're like, okay, and strum it out, and you're done. And then we're back in, and never I asked of you, and it's like, oh, yeah. yeah. Because at that, at that 4.36, if you strum there, a nice open strummed chord, let it decay, don't end on the root, gives you that tension and suspension to finish the song, I think it would have been a way cooler ending, because it just drags now. We've heard this before. We've done this already, James. You don't need this this extra little bit at the end. So yeah, For 40 whole seconds, too, oh, yeah. before this thing ends. So <laughs> uh, That's... Uh, Mama said again a very divisive song. Let's see how our scores uh, settle out on this one. Whose turn is it? Is it my turn? Your turn? It's me. Okay. I've got to go. I got to go first on this one. Um, I really kind of I struggled with this one because there's again there's lots of elements of this that I really like. Um, it's a nice little ballad thing. Like you said, when the strumming at the beginning, it's like oh that's different again. It doesn't sound like nothing else matters. Where you've got that you know that arpeggiated um, guitar sort of lick. Here it's just literally just strumming. I like that, um, and it's quite repetitious. But what saves it from becoming boring musically for me is the stuff that Kirk's doing, and I love that guitar tone. I love the noodles he's putting in there. But again, for the most part, Lars plays a decent drum line, but there's a few times where he's syncopating things. And it's like, dude, if there was ever a time where this song is 100% not about you, this is it. This is, again, that lack of awareness of what the song needs. Um, so 5.5 for music. Lyrics, I'm, I went 9.5, Corey, because I'm never going to bash a heartfelt lyric. I think that, the, like I said, the chorus is repeated too many times, but that's not a, a comment on the quality of the lyric. Um, you can tell it's really personal. Uh, very heartfelt. I think they maybe could have been trimmed down a little bit. You could have edited maybe a little bit. Like I said, there's that one section that repeats twice. Um, but again, you know, let my heart go, let your son grow, mama, let my heart go, or let this heart be still. And it's that thing again where you use the over-rhyming that I'm not always a fan of on those first three lines to make sure that that or let this heart be still really punches. So I think, again, excellent bit of writing. Um, production I went to. And here's, here's my main production problem and then a question for you, Corey. This song does not fit on this album at all. In no fucking universe does this song fit on this album. So my question for you is, did Metallica ever release non-album singles? Uh, only as part of a movie soundtrack, like uh, non-album singles. I'm trying to think. Uh, Stone Cold Crazy, I think, was a single before they put it on Garage Inc. Uh, I Disappear was a big one from the Mission Impossible 2 soundtrack, so... Uh, not really a ton. I, I don't know for sure, but I not a lot are, are jumping to mind. But uh, if yeah. there was ever a case for maybe a non-album single uh, that didn't have this country twang to it, uh, I could certainly see this song making the case. Yeah, because it totally breaks the flow of this side of the album, right? Yeah. It takes you. I mean, it just it's so different. And again, it's way too long. 
Um, again, I had to dock some points for, you know, staying on the brushes instead of picking up the sticks in that in that build section. You don't need to go full sab but true with it, but a nice fat snare sound there to complement what everyone else is doing would have been perfect. So a schizophrenic song, 5.5 on music, 9.5 on lyrics, 2 on production. What did you land? I tell you what, Kevin, I wasn't far off. Uh, music, I gave it a 6. I really like the melody. Uh, I love his performance of it. Uh, I hate the pedal steel. <laughs> yeah, I, I I hate the the, the brushes like the. I, I hate that I had to kick in with the band at all. Even though Kirk's doing some really nice accents, like yeah. really really good, and that's why it's as high as a six for me. It could have been much lower had this just been James and an acoustic guitar. Uh, this easily could have been like nine nine and four for me because that's what this song kind of needs, not what they gave us lyrically. I gave it a nine, so you were nine and a half. I think I was a nine. Yep. Uh, maybe a little too repetitive on occasion. A line here or there, but it's really, really powerful stuff. And yeah. again, when a guy's like burying his soul like that, you can't, oh, that's horseshit. No. Yeah. He's, you know, the, this is a very talented man and a very accomplished artist burying his soul. Uh, that's easily a nine for me. And uh, what, you give it a two for production? Yeah. I gave it a two for production. Uh, again, it's too long. We missed that natural end. Uh, why Lars? Why? And it should have just been acoustic. <laughs> just, just get James in the studio, one take. Yeah. Just playing this by himself, and it'd be fucking perfect. But oh god, it's just why the pedal steel? Why the whole country twang? Why everything is just why? 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 I'm kind of curious. I'm going to look this up. I wonder if there is because sometimes you know you do get acoustic versions that are recorded in studio. I wonder if there's a you know or Sort of like on a CD, like the, you know, the third song on a, on a CD single or something. I'm just kind of curious to see if that exists. Well, yeah, just live versions. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. Because, like you said, I hadn't, I hadn't thought of that because I was focusing on, well, okay, if you're going to do the whole band, how do you fix, you know, some of the issues that I see with the way it was arranged, and, and drums is one of them. Um, but just, yeah, I think you're dead right. You know, and you could even just do it with a um, acoustic guitar and just some. Some strings, just have some strings. Did they do this one during what was that? Was it S and M? Was it called or something? Oh, they didn't do it for S and M, but I'm I'm wondering uh, for the uh, they, they do these Helping Hand concerts usually at okay. Metallica HQ uh, for their All Within My Hands uh, uh, Foundation. Uh, I'm wondering if they ever did uh, Mama Said for that because that would really fit kind of well. Right. I I'm just looking at the one I have on that I have downloaded here, and they don't. That was uh, 2020. Okay. That, that's not to say they never did, but yeah, just James and the Acoustic, I think would be perfect. They never did do it for S&M, uh, which they should have, though. But they do, uh, on S&M 1, do a killer version of Bleeding Me. Like, imagine that okay. with a full orchestra. Holy fuck, is that good. Oh, I'll have to listen to that then, yeah. Okay, cool, yeah. I mean, and, you know, we, we said that it only got, well, never got played live in a, in a Metallica, you know, in a stadium set or an arena set or anything. And you can totally see, well, you can't put this in a set with... Fucking sad but true and master puppets and yeah. it just doesn't fit, right? And I totally get that. And also I think that it's okay to have a song like this that is super personal and you just keep it for yourself and you keep it as an album track. I think that's okay. Or actually was it it was released as a single, right? Uh, was Mama said a single? Yes, it was. It came uh, after Hero of the Day and before King Nothing. Oh, Hero of the Day. Jesus. I'm still <laughs> I've still got a sour taste in my mouth from last week about that fucking song, man. Yeah, the fact that was a single is is really kind of shocking. Oh, my fucking God. I, I don't think it, it charted well, uh, if that helps. Um, it was her second number one hit on the U.S. Billboard Hot Mainstream Rock Tracks chart, 
which I mean, if you're a rock band and you release a song, it's probably going number one on the mainstream <laughs> rock track. Like it's it's pretty easy. Uh, hey, we should release something, Corey. <laughs> exactly. Get it, on, a, get it on the U.S. mainstream rock tracks. Epileptic Gibbon is writing a new song. <laughs> yeah, this is such a weird album side for me because, like, either musically or lyrically, taken in isolation, almost all of it's generally above average to really good. I think production-wise is where it really suffers. There's some very odd decisions that let some of those songs down. And again, Mama said you shouldn't be on here. Yep. You know, because if you think about Cure, Poor Twisted Me, and Wasting My Hate, they're all thematically fairly consistent and fairly aggressive. Yeah. But then, then you get this weird little ballad thing. It's, it's such an odd decision. Yes, sequencing was wrong. Uh, maybe it even fits better on Reload. Uh, that'll be interesting to talk about when we get into Reload. Okay. Uh, I don't know. Uh, we'll, 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 we'll chat about that. But let, let's get to our final uh, side C grades uh, for, uh, for load here. Uh, I'll start. Uh, musically, I gave it a 6 overall for music. I gave it a 7 overall for lyrics and a 2.5 uh, for a production. Like I said, a couple of songs really bring that production level down. Uh, yep. Just that average for me. But 6, 7, 2.5. Uh, thus far, it's my uh, least favorite side uh, of load. Kevin, what were your final grades on side C? Wasn't a mile away. There was, I think I liked a bit more the music, a little bit more the music. So I was musically seven. Um, lyrics seven point five, and then production. My average, my actually, my average production was a three, but it was dragged up by poor twisted me. So because the other three songs, I think I have fairly significant production issues with. I'm dropping that down to a two point five. So okay. I've got seven, seven point five, and two point five for an overall average of seventeen on this album side. And I'm fifteen and a half. So you're actually higher than I am. Uh, on this side so shock <laughs> horror whatever next whatever next oh my lord <laughs> interesting interesting well we got one more side to go yeah uh, unload and uh, i tell you we, we got some interesting songs coming up next week uh thorn within ronnie and the outlaw torn can't wait to hear what you think about that ones but before we do that oh no all right, that music can only mean one thing. It's time to play the big four. That's right. Uh, the current scores are, and actually, Kevin got a little bit closer. I only got one right last week, uh, folks, if you remember. Um, my worst outing on, on uh, the big four uh, for sure here. Where are we at? Nine and five? I can't remember my stuff here. I think we're at nine and five. Yeah, yeah I think that's right, yeah. All right, so I'm currently in the lead uh, with nine points. Kevin has five points. Here's an opportunity for Kev to jump right back in it, though. I, I picked four bands for you this week. So you have to rank for me in order of Spotify listeners, highest to lowest, the bands Metallica, Nirvana, U2, and Wham. Who? Wham. Oh, my God. <laughs> fucking hell. Well, I'm pretty sure I know who's fucking bottom. Okay. Um, ain't nobody listens to Wham no more, so I'm going to put them in number four. Okay. The other three, man, that's... I think these are going to be pretty bloody close. I know Metallica, or I think Metallica last week, they were in around that 24 and a half or something. Oh, man. You two are doing that residency at the Sphere, so they might be getting a bit of an uptick because of some of that stuff. Okay. I'm going to go... Jesus, I'm going to go... I think I'm going to be wrong on this. Okay. I'm going to go U2 number one. Okay. I'm going to go... Met- 
Metallica number two. Okay. Nirvana number three and one number four. Guess what, Kev? Ofer, you didn't get a single one right. Number one. Wow. Wham. 66,547,000. You have to be fucking... Keep in mind, and I got you on a technicality here because we're in January. This would have been numbers for December. What song of Wham's Christmas. is played a lot in December? Oh, I got you, motherfucker. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> Wham, number one. Number two, <sighs> Nirvana, 28,601,000. Number three, Metallica. 24,729,000. Number four, last place, U2. Even with a new single, 22,997,000. So, Kevin, you went 0 for 4. <laughs> it was going to happen, Corey. It was always going to happen. <laughs> That's really interesting, too, though, because, again, I mean, like I said, I knew that Metallica, Nirvana, U2, I was pretty sure they were going to be real close. Um, wham? Even with Christmas. Fuck me, people. <laughs> 66 million. And not wow. that long ago, Netflix released a documentary on Wham. So that might have inflated oh, their numbers right. too. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't seen I mean, it yet, but I love Rock Docs, so I can't wait to check it out. Yeah. Wow. Come on. Really? <laughs> wow. I mean, there's a reason why George Michael left that band as soon as he fucking could. <laughs> One of my favorite aspects of Deadpool, though, is just how much he loved Wham. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck me. Talk about great movies. Holy shit. One of the best okay. superhero movies of all time from Regina, wow. Saskatchewan, the city I'm that rhymes with fun. <laughs> I'm still eight five down, Corey. I've got, I've made no headway. It's nine five. I stumped you last week. Yep, nine five. So I'm still eight by five, four. Yeah, I, le- I at least got one right last week. <laughs> <laughs> Can't believe I didn't get any right. That's insane. I knew I'd get you oh, with Wham God. though, because I knew. Okay, this yeah, is December's yeah. numbers, and last Christmas in December is huge. Dirty pool, my friend. Dirty pool. <laughs> I'm here for it. I'm here for it. It's I want to get that car. Remember, if we win, you got to buy me a car. So. <laughs> Can you two and last while wow, that's how the mighty have fallen, hey? I know, but I'm not shocked because like when was the last time they released a good record? For me, it was probably all you can't leave behind. hundred percent. Yep. There's decent moments on how to dismantle an atomic bomb. Yep. But every, I mean the last three albums have been absolute fucking arse gravy. I, I just they're all the same. Every single song yeah. is the same. They're unlistenable. Yep. Like they still may be a good live act, but I still really love you two. Like the whole uh, 80s output, 90s output. I'm like, okay, I'm on board for all of this. And then All You Can't yep. Leave Behind was a great record, top to bottom. Fantastic. Not, like you said, like there's like four or five great moments on how to dismantle an atomic bomb. And then the rest are really bad. And then it's just yeah. all the same shit. And it's, uh, so How the Mighty Have Fallen? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, they got that residency though, and they're making billions of dollars. They're doing know. pretty good. Yeah. I, I've watched yeah, clips, uh, and you know the, the it looks like a really great show. Of course, they're doing yeah. a lot of uh, Octon Baby, which you know doesn't hurt because I love that record. Well, I mean, in that setting, when you've got that that arrangement, and you've got the sort of the the audio visual setup. Octon Baby and Zero and Zoo, uh, um, Zeropa, fuck, I'm going to be loading most of my set with those two albums. Well, Octon Baby, especially like you know back in the '90s, you know they had their own satellite just yeah. dedicated for that fucking tour so they could beam whatever the hell they wanted. And Bono literally had a remote and he would just say, let's see what's on TV. And he would yeah. like riffle through the channels. Like cool stuff. Like they were really the band that kind of put, you know, technology in the forefront in their live yeah. shows. And now I, I guess with the spear, they're, they're trying to do that again, but they're almost kind of an also ran because they haven't produced any music in the last 20 years. That's worthy of that. 
Well, and Bono pissed everyone off with the, you know, the the free album on Apple Music. Like, dude, really, yeah. you, you've not you've not got the uh, the pulse of the popular culture because there are a lot of people who really don't like you. Yeah, and <laughs> a lot of people like I, I didn't like that record, but I wasn't no, mad was that terrible. I got it for free. I just deleted it. Like, I was like, okay, yeah. I don't like this. I'll just delete it. But a lot of people were like furious that yeah. that they did that, and it's that pretentious factor that now they'll never get over. For me, I was Absolutely. like, ah, eh, whatever. The songs aren't good, so I'll delete it. No big deal. <laughs> you want to give me free music? I'll give it a try. Why not? I'll give it a listen. <laughs> and that's that's the that's the tact we'll take with Epileptic Gibbon when we release our first EP. We'll we'll give it to everybody for free, and, and we'll see uh, you know how how they cotton to it. We're gonna come around and we're gonna force cassettes into your mailboxes, people. <laughs> cassettes, I love it. <laughs> You're all getting eight tracks. We're only releasing on cassette. We're not putting it on streaming. That, that's it. It's going to be a limited release of 10 cassettes. <laughs> Get it while it's hot, because there's only going to be 10 and they're hand-numbered. That's right. It's, it's a complete catastrophe. <laughs> Just a complete catastrophe. Is that from, that's from the sandwich scene too, right? Isn't it, it is, yep. Yeah, yeah uh, okay, yeah. Yeah, it was after he looked at the little olives, like, look at here, there's, a, there's no one. And then this one, there's a little guy. It's a complete catastrophe. <laughs> oh, well, you know what wasn't a catastrophe, Corey? was this episode. I had a lot of fun doing this one. We've done four more songs. We've got one side left on load. Um, and we should say to our listeners, thanks for listening. Um, come join us again next week when we're going to look at the last side on this one. We've got two albums down next week. Um, and we're, then we're going to be heading into Reload. And we're only a few short weeks away from our friend, the sexiest man in podcasting, Scott Askin, joining us again for the rap. So. He's already been oiling up with baby oil. Uh, and it's <laughs> really disturbing. <laughs> Uh, come check us out on social media don't check out Scott asking him baby no, come check don't. us out on social media Ultimate Catalog Clash on Facebook and You Catalog Clash on Twitter and Blue Sky check out my other shows The Tom Petty Project and Seaside Pod Review if you want to find me on Twitter I'm not calling it X I'm at Kev Brown Canada Corey where are you where can people find you and what should they talk to you about uh, I'm at CD Morset on Twitter this week I'm not calling it X either that's just fucking stupid uh, I'm still on Twitter so yeah if you want to yell at me I do it there um, you can catch me on my other shows, uh, Backtracks Theme Music, Backtracks Aerosmith Revisited, and uh, and the podcast Still Rock, breaking down everything Van Halen, uh, wrapping up that catalog very, very quick. So uh, uh, please join us on there. But uh, i got to tell you, I'm having a lot of fun with the Ultimate Catalog Clash, and I'm thinking, geez, when I win season two, because I won season one, <laughs> who am I picking for season three? Maybe it's going to be Wham. Well, you know what? The good thing is if we do we've only got two hours. <laughs> <laughs> but i tell you one of them is make it big and and that's gonna be like a we're gonna have to split that up into like eight shows because there's a lot to talk about <laughs> on make it big careless whisper oh, motherfucker okay. come on i'm not doing another <laughs> deep dive one podcast <laughs> wake me oh, up hey. before you pod pod there you go wait a minute we know the very man for this job we just need to pitch this to chas charles yes he'll be all over it I t- Chaz loves really shitty things. Like yes. Roger Waters is redoing Dark Side of the Moon. Fuck, I'm all over it. Like why? That is uh, my. Oh. Metallica. And, oh, I haven't. No, fuck no. Are you fucking? It's it's like I I I love Chaz. I'll listen to his shows. Your episode of Rush Rash was fantastic. I loved being on Rush Rash because I Rush is a really good band. But I got like halfway through the fucking Lulu show, the Metallica Lou Reed show, and I'm like, this is the worst fuck. And it's not Chaz's fault. Or his co-host, yeah. it's the music. Like what the like I, I understand it might be interesting to talk to, but or talk about, but holy fuck, this music's terrible. It's dreadful. Absolutely dreadful. Okay. Well there we go. Episode seven of season two is wrapped. You go away, live your lives, and make sure you come back next week 
and we'll see you then.